In the late 1980s and early 1990s, if I threw on a pair of DC skate shoes, a Tony Hawk t-shirt, and baggy jeans, my friends would have called me a poser. Because I was not, and will never be, a skateboarder. So here I stand in a pulpit with this black piece of cloth around my neck. No, I am not ordained, but Father Daniel assures me I am not a poser. This vestment piece is called a tippet, and in the Anglican tradition is used to identify the person who will be sharing the homily. Also acknowledging the fact that I have not spent years in a seminary wrestling with an esoteric body of ecclesiastical and theological knowledge, I would simply like to offer my words today as a conversation starter. Think about them, push back against them where needed, and test them against the knowledge of your heart and the good news of Christ revealed in the gospel. Then join me on January 5th to continue the conversation. We will hold a town hall style meeting after the 10 o'clock service to discuss our children and youth formation programs. Yes, that is a bit of foreshadowing for the rest of my time standing before you in a tippet. In today's gospel, we revisit the story of John the Baptist in the wilderness, calling people to repent and turn back towards God. He both rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees, and possibly us in the mix, and speaks to the coming of Christ, salvation. Matthew also connects the gospel to the ancient Hebrew texts by quoting from Isaiah, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Even though I am a cradle Episcopalian, I attended Catholic school from nursery school through the third grade. Some of you who have migrated over from the Roman church might be surprised to hear this and wonder why. Honestly, I don't know. I was a kid then. I wasn't part of the decision-making process. Yet I do remember Sister Martha, without a habit or black clothing, playing the guitar and leading us in the song, Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord. Although the songbook, Lift Every Voice and Sing Too, has a version of this song, I am sure the version we sang was originally performed off-Broadway in the musical Godspell. Of course, this was post-Vatican II, and I loved it. I believe this verse is more than just a prediction of the work of John the Baptist. It is a call to action for all of us. We sang the words of Isaiah over and over until the song ended. We focused on the what. Where, what do we do? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. We have to look deeper for the how. Although the gospel continues with the discussion of baptism with water, which is the how, it requires more of us. 
We are reminded of this by our very own bishop, the Right Reverend Daniel Gutierrez. His love of Christ and desire to share Christ's love with all is undeniable when you are in his presence and hear him preach, which he usually does wearing a stole and not a tippet. He has used a simple message to sum up the work of the Diocese of Pennsylvania. Know Jesus changed the world. How do I know this? I have the swag. I'm wholly in. Hook, line, sinker, and silicon bracelet. Yet this is more than a catch line or a savvy diocesan marketing. It too is a call to action. For if we truly believe that to know Jesus is to change the world, then we are challenged to make Jesus known. Isaiah foretelling of the voice in the wilderness is not just referring to John the Baptist, but our united voice as we work to prepare the way of the Lord, as we do the work of clearing a path and preparing a space so that Jesus can be known in the present. We continue the work of leading the unchurched, the wounded, the dismissed, the suffering, and the sinful to a new life in Christ via the baptismal font. We welcome them into our community and stand with them and for them for the rest of their lives. I'm here to tell you that we need to truly commit ourselves to making Christ known to the children and young adults in this parish and the community beyond our doors. Now, I am not ordained, but I come to you with 22 years experience as a middle school teacher and many years of education in some incredible institutions of higher learning. I even have letters after my name to show for it. Yet if I do not speak to the truth of our present time and the need for spiritual guidance, possibly in the form of immediate triage, then it means nothing. Every two years, the Central Bucks School District participates in the Pennsylvania Youth Survey. The official purpose of this survey is to gather information about students' knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors towards alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use to help communities address the root causes of antisocial behavior. The data is not yet tabulated for this year's survey, but the information from the 2017 survey is still relevant and may speak to a worsening trend. The survey targets 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, and in self-reporting use of alcohol in the past 30 days, the average was around 28% of all participants admitting to the consumption of alcohol. If you look at just the 12th graders, the percentage increases to 48%. The average for marijuana use is around 18%. The use of tobacco continues to drop, but as you can imagine, vaping increased 10 percentage points 
to about 28%. Based upon my personal experience with busting kids, vaping in the bathroom, I'm certain that this year's numbers will be even greater. Now, this sounds bad, but if you look at pop culture, this is nothing new, and it may even be glorified as part of the American teenage experience. Names like James Dean, scenes from the play West Side Story, or the movie Dazed and Confused, chapters from S.C. Hinton's The Outsiders, and more make the teenager full of angst and willing to experiment part of the American narrative. Though seeing it on screen or in a book and actually doing it are two different things. What troubles me more is the information that follows. Of the 3,885 valid responses, 41% reported that they felt depressed or sad most days in the last 12 months. 23% agreed that sometimes I think that life is not worth it. 35% report at times I think I am no good at all. 15% have considered suicide. 12% reported planning suicide. And 6 or 7% admitted to attempting suicide one or more times. That is at least 233 students who have attempted suicide. This became even more real when a young lady at West committed suicide this fall. Another student planned to commit suicide and triggered a manhunt that thankfully caught him before, in time before he jumped to his death. Then next month, a young student at Lenape Middle School unsuccessfully attempted suicide during the school day. I'm afraid that like the use of drugs and alcohol, this is nothing new. Two of my brothers in their youth lost friends to suicide and I have attended memorials for former students who have taken their own lives in addition to losing several due to drug overdoses, alcohol triggered car accidents and questionable circumstances. It hurts. The data makes it all the more visible and clearly communicates that we have a problem. What boggles my mind is that we as members of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church have the most wonderful and caring and engaging message to counter this hurt. The good news. God loves us so much that he took on human form to teach and model how to live as fully human and in so doing, repair and restore our relationship by forgiving sin once and for all. The 102nd Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, speaks to God's power to heal us and make us whole by stating, 
out of the confused and fearful and partial picture of ourselves that most of us work with most of the time, God can make some sort of wholeness. He can lead us gently to face what we find unacceptable and learn how to make it meaningful by his grace. He can draw the scattered bits of myself together. This is supported by the deeply meaningful exchange of the peace as we transition from sharing the word to the preparation and consecration of the Eucharist. Williams reminds us, it is not a peace that is just the absence of rivalry and conflict. It is an active condition of loving and nurturing, giving and receiving mutuality. In sharing the peace, we are reaffirming our own commitment and supporting the commitment of others to living God's love as his beloved. So of those 233 who attempted suicide, the additional few who in recent months have headed down the same path and the one who was successful, did we share the peace with them? Did we make Christ known? Did we live God's love in such a way that it drew others in or gave them hope? Are we preparing the way? No one knows the names of the 203 respondents, so there is a possibility that they may have been in our church. This is where we must be self-reflective. We do have a children's Sunday school program that runs most Sundays. On the books, we have around 34 children who could be participating in the program. On a typical Sunday, we have 10 present. Take out four of my children, two of Father Daniel's, and Elizabeth Pitt's son, and you have three to four others who might be considered regular attenders. Originally, I was concerned that we did not have enough adults to run the four classes that we established based upon the ages of the children. Now, it is not uncommon to have a one adult for every two children in one combined class. Specifically focusing on youth group participants, we have 32 potential participants. Several Sundays, Jen Esser's son and my oldest two girls were the only ones who showed up. This has forced us to make some adjustments to the program as we continue to engage our youth. Of course, none of this includes the potential that lies just beyond our doors out in our community. Yes, our clear challenge is just getting our children and youth to show up. In this, I know I am preaching to the choir, literally. <laughs> you are here in the pews, but we need to do the tougher work of getting our children and youth in here and attending formation as well. The statistics show they need it. We must prepare the way.
then it may require some of us to drag them down the way. So confession. There are plenty of Sunday mornings in our house that begin with breakfast, conversations about the previous day's activities or plans for the afternoon that then devolve into screaming and crying fits with the phrase, I don't want to go to church, shouted repeatedly. The offender can change from week to week. But in many cases, as I am preparing to lead Sunday school or youth group, I find myself losing control, raising my voice, and very likely using colorful language not found in the Gospels. <laughs> Please know this. This is not an attempt to get your sympathy or pity. I don't want it. Yes. I have six kids. That was by choice. I don't need people to say, I don't know how you do it. Or, I'm sure it is hard. Listen, like any parent who makes it in here with kids in tow, we just want you to realize we made it. And without judgment for dress or state of their hair, you simply help create a space for us and accept us. It means a lot when Ted Hopkins simply smiles, shakes my hand, and puts a hand on my shoulder in a sign of understanding and support. Maybe that is the first step. But trust me, there is a whole journey on which we must embark. I know we are working against societal norms that no longer hold Sundays as sacred time. We have to actively carve out the sacred time and create the sacred spaces where we and our children and youth can hear the word, engage the sacraments, and embrace the love that will fortify all of us against evils. And it will. While struggling to make sense of all of this, I had a fellow par par parishioner share with me that when her children lost their father, it was their youth group that saved them. It helped ground them, support them, and love them through an extremely difficult time. It was the realization of the church as the body of Christ surrounding them and guiding them forward. They are now strong adults sharing the same love with their own children. It is my own participation in youth group here at St. Paul's in the late 80s and early 90s and my involvement as an acolyte that has provided a foundation for my faith journey. I was embraced by the body of Christ as John Canterbury and others, upon my return from college, pulled me back in to support the acolytes, encouraged me to become a Eucharistic minister, and set me on the path to this pulpit today. I know it can be done. 
We just have to do it for many more. It must be an overt and intentional act. We must create a space and make Jesus known to the children and youth both inside and outside of this church. This is the point at which we return to baptism, the how of the preparing the way of the Lord. Before renewing our baptismal covenant, we are pointedly asked, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? At which the congregation responds, we will. <clears throat> Shortly thereafter, we reaffirm, with the help of God, three additional statements of faith in action. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Will you seek to serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? If we don't fulfill these promises and affirmation for our affirmations for our children and youth and live our faith in action, then there is no future for St. Paul's. If we don't, we will lose many more of our young ones, simply increasing the statistics and deepening the hurt we already feel. You see why I began by inviting you to a conversation on January 5th? We need to figure out what is going on. We may have to re-envision the timing and or the creation of the sacred space for our children and youth. What worked for me in the early 90s probably won't exactly work today. I don't have a cell phone, or I didn't have a cell phone, I do now. And I wasn't constantly plugged into a digital world with conflicting and contradicting messages. I couldn't look up how to properly dab, how to make Coke and Mentos volcanoes, or post the next ice bucket challenge. Nor could I find out how to cut myself, how to starve myself, and commit suicide. The wilderness of today is more overgrown due to digital fertilization, and it is easy to get lost. As we continue the conversation, I hope to share what we have done, explore the present challenges, and begin charting a path forward. I want to envision an experience here at St. Paul's that fulfills the closing word in today's epistle for our children. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that we can create programs that years from now our children will remember with gratitude in their hearts. I mean gratitude in a deeply spiritual way as described by the Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. Gratitude, 
therefore takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. In closing, I invite you to take out the prayer book in front of you and turn to page 829. <clears throat> I encourage you to read prayer 47 with me aloud as a congregation, as the body of Christ. God, our Father, you see your children growing up in an unsteady and confusing world. Show them that your ways give more life than the ways of the world, and that following you is better than chasing after selfish goals. Help them to take failure not as a measure of their worth, but as a chance for a new start. Give them strength to hold their faith in you and keep alive their joy in your creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat>